Methodist Church. In today's message, Pastor David Cartwright finishes a three-week series called Waking from Nominal Christianity. The series is based on three sets of questions posed by the well-known author and Christian apologist, Timothy Keller. Pastor Keller offers the questions as a means of reflecting on the vitality of one's relationship with God. I know I'm a good person. You've heard it many times and probably said it yourself. The Apostle Paul announced just the opposite of himself. I know that nothing good dwells in me. That's from Romans 7, 18. In in reading Romans 7, we might conclude that Paul was a troubled man. The truth is that he was sick, sin sick. To his credit, he knew it. And in knowing his condition, realized that he had no capacity to do anything about it. Thankfully, God could do what neither Paul, you, nor I could do. Set us free from our death. This is grace, and it's amazing. We wrap up today uh, three weeks of looking at some questions that have been posed by Pastor Timothy Keller. All of these questions... Um, are geared for our own reflection as, as tools, if you will, to help wake us from nominal Christianity. That is kind of a, a just a, well, I don't know how to put it. Nominal is a pretty good word. Wake up, you know, uh, to, to lift us into a more, more vibrant, lively, effective, powerful uh, manifestation of Christianity within our lives. And so uh, today's questions have to do with uh, our, the, the, the level of awareness we have of God's mercy toward us in our lives, and, and specifically on a daily basis. How precious is that grace of Jesus for us each day? How, how aware are we that we are depending on God's mercy from one day to the next? The, the questions are posed in your bulletin so you can take them home. Are you finding God's grace more glorious and moving now than in the past? Are you conscious of a growing sense of the evil in your heart and in response a growing dependence on the preciousness of God's mercy? Uh, To set us up for that, we look in this seventh chapter of the book of Romans in which Paul, I think, does us a great favor uh, personally, when I read this, it makes me feel a little better, at least to know that I'm not the only one who feels the way that Paul does. Okay? Now, when we get to Romans 7, we remember that Paul has been building a case. He's been building a, a wonderful theological case uh, of, of answering the question of whether we stand justified be- before God by our works of righteousness, in other words, doing right before God, or by the mercy of God through our faith in the grace of Jesus Christ? Which one? And his, his answer is, you stand justified before God, whether you're Jew or Gentile, it doesn't matter who you are, you stand justified before God by grace and grace alone. You place your trust in what Jesus Christ has done, and you claim that before God. And because of that, you stand justified before God. Now, and, and he's already answered the, 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 the response in chapter 6 because people will say, well, you know, if grace is so great in the face of our sinfulness, 
how about if we do God a favor and we'll just sin more so God can give more grace? It sounds good, right? But Paul says, no, 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 that's not, that's, that's the wrong way to look at it. Because what the grace of Jesus Christ does is set you free from that. So if you're free from living under the power of sin, why just continue sinning? That's not what God wants. God wants to set you free from that. But in Romans 7, Paul, I think, offers us a very uh, honest and vulnerable glimpse into himself. And I will tell you up front that Romans 7 has been read from basically two different perspectives. There are some who basically say, well, what Paul's talking about there was, was former Paul. That was uh, Paul under the law. That was Paul way back when. It's, not, it's not, a, not a perspective of who Paul was really then. Now, I'm not going to say that, that that can't be argued, but that's not the way that I read Romans 7, okay? Namely, because I don't think there's any, ev any real evidence not to. And I read Romans 7, and I think it's Paul's honest, uh, honest revelation of the struggle he has. As if to say, I know what I'm teaching, I know what I'm preaching, I know, I know this is what God has given, I know he's, he, he has set us free from the power of sin, but if I were to be honest with you, I will be honest enough to say there is still a struggle. Anybody feel that way? Am I the only one? The text that was read for us between verses 15 and 25, let me break it down to kind of three simple points. We'll just do this real quickly. First point in verse 16. Paul says, if, the, if I do the very thing I don't want to do, I agree that the law, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. In other words, so Paul is saying, first of all, let me just say this. God has a moral standard, and it's good. And that's not, a, that's not an opinion, that's fact. I, Paul's saying, that, that God's standard is the right standard. It's a good standard. You don't have to debate it. It's, it's a closed thing, okay? So I'm saying that what, that what God has for us moral, mor, morality-wise, it's a good thing. Okay? Point one. Point two, what he says in verse 15. What I'm doing, I don't understand. I'm not practicing what I want to do, but I'm doing the very thing I hate. He said, so I want to do God's righteousness. I want to do what the law says because I know that the law is good, right? So why don't I do it? Well, we're trying, right? <laughs> but see, Paul is saying, look, I want to do what God said is right. But I don't. Hey, every one of you just went amen real quietly in your head. I want to do what God says is right, but I don't. I look at myself, and honestly, I find those times when I am willfully living out of line with what God said is good. And Paul reflects the same thing in verse 19. He says, for the good that I want, I do not do. I practice the very evil that I do not want. 
in the 21st century, we would say, you know, sounds like Paul needs some medical help. You know, we would send him to counseling. But what Paul's being honest about is that while we make this journey as human beings, chasing after Christ, there is still this struggle that goes on. And so, Paul says in verse 20, 21, I find then that there's this principle, you could say a law in your, in your Bible translation, that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. I want to do good, but there's something still at work in me that causes me to do something else. So where does that lead me? Let me, let me pause for a moment and, and ask you a question. If you are a professing Christian, like you have, you have chosen Jesus Christ, you have confessed him as Lord and Savior, you have put your trust in his grace, this, this question is for you. If that doesn't describe you, the invitation is here today, that you can put your trust in his grace. But if you are a professing Christian, how precious is grace to you today? How amazed are you that you can stand before the holy creator of the universe without condemnation? How amazing is that? And, and I don't want you to just give a pat answer because you know the right answer is, oh, pastor, it's, I mean, it's amazing, right? Yes, you know that's the right answer, but I want to know what's in your heart. I want to know, like, from one day to the next, how, how overwhelming is it to you to just think? I mean, look at yourself in a mirror. Go outside and look up at, at the beauty of, of of the sun and the sky or the moon and the night sky and, and think of the awesomeness of God and his holiness and righteousness and think how in the world could he how in the world could he make it so that I could stand before him without condemnation it, it's mind-boggling And, and I'm, I'm pressing that question upon you because I am aware that there are several tendencies of things that happen for us as we are Christian over a long period of time. There are certain things that just tend to happen. And I'm not saying that we do them intentionally. Some of it is very, it's just very, uh, it's, we're, it's unconscious. But one of those things that happens is we start to lose sight of our dependence on grace. It, if I could put it in oversimplistic terms, we could say, well, you know, I left my lifestyle of, of breaking the law and moral debauchery, so I must be doing okay, right? <laughs> like you don't walk, you know, don't need grace anymore? 
You know, we show up to church worship, and it's almost like we could have the attitude of, oh, my God, you, you go on, you can work on somebody else. I'm doing pretty good. You know, go on down to the next center along the line. You, you know, they, they're dealing with worse stuff than I am. I'm, I got it. I got it. I got it, God, you know. You're looking at me like you don't think it's true, but it is. You and I come to a place like this, and we still need to rest on grace. Because Paul is so aware and confessing in these verses the reality of the human heart. Jeremiah put it this way, Jeremiah 17, verse 9 reflecting upon his own people's sinfulness before God. He said, the human heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I can feel the emotion of Jeremiah as he's been considering just how, how mind-boggling it is that his people time after time after time keep rejecting God and walking away from Him as God has shown mercy to bring them back and to overlook their sin, but they just keep doing it. And Jeremiah has to be saying, how in the world do we keep doing the same thing over and over again, shaking our fists at God? How evil is the heart? It is desperately sick. And if you think Jeremiah is just standing on his own there, he's not. The writer of Ecclesiastes reflect, reflects the same thing in Ecclesiastes 9. Isaiah talks about right off, right off the bat in Isaiah 1. Uh, Jesus talked about the evil that comes out of our own hearts when he uh, talk, taught his disciples about, you know, there's the law, you know, don't touch this, don't eat that. And he said, you know what, we were so worried about the things that, that we put in our, in, into our mouths. And he said, that's not the things that defile us. The things that defile us are the things that come out of the mouth because the things that come out of the mouth are the things that come out of the heart. And the heart is where all the, the desperate sickness is. And so what comes out of the mouth is just demonstrating the sickness that's there. Oh, I didn't give you all the uh, disclaimer that you should be warned that this wasn't a feel-good sermon. Um, and, and, you know, I thought about this. <clears throat> I thought about this. Because I think that sometimes we come to a place like this and, and we think that what the goal is is to feel good about ourselves. I'm not here to make you feel good about yourself. I'm here to make you feel good about God and what God thinks about you today. That's what I want you to feel good about. Let's reflect again on this question that Pastor Keller offers, that second one listed in your bulletin. Are you conscious of a growing sense of evil in your heart? Let's think about the first part of that. And I want you to pay attention to the wording. Are you conscious of a growing sense of evil in your heart? 
He's not talking about a more evil, a growing sense of evil. It's a question of awareness. It's a question of sensitivity. You understand sensitivity, don't you? Let me me just kind of phrase this. Uh, uh, An experience that we've all had. You've been to the dentist, right? Okay. Whether you've had an infected tooth or or the dentist is working on it and the dentist has, you know, the dentist is drilled down in there and the nerve's kind of exposed and they, and they blow air on it. Or the dentist, you know, squirts water on it and your response is, yeah, you're all going, you're being nice, really? Because really what you're doing is coming out of the chair. <laughs> or you have that bad tooth that you didn't know about and you fill your mouth with ice cream and the cold hits it, and you go, ah. I probably should be careful doing that when I'm wearing a microphone. You've been there, right? That's sensitivity. It's being keenly responsive to the stimulus that's there, okay? This is what the question is getting at. How... How sensitive are you to the evil that resides in your heart? If we're not sensitive to it, it doesn't mean that it's not there. It just means that we're kind of, we've become okay with it. We, we've desensitized ourselves to it, and that's not a good thing. And you might think that what I'm saying is, well, Pastor, are you trying to tell us that, uh, that we're not growing in sanctification? I mean, we've talked about Wesley and, and Wesleyan theology and the, the need to be growing in grace and, you know, full sanctification and being perfect in love and all of those things. God, we're supposed to be getting better as we go along, right? And I'm... I'm not suggesting anything contrary to that. Not at all. All I'm asking is, how aware are we of those places where the evil still resides? Let me give you a picture. Uh, A little more than a week ago, Renee and I were in Houston for the celebration of life for our brother James Brown. I got up that morning in the hotel room, uh, took a shower, was getting dressed. I go to the closet and I pull out my white dress shirt that I took out of my closet at home, put it in my travel bag, zipped it closed to protect it in the trip down there. I get it out, go to put the shirt on, and what's on the front of the shirt? A stain. Not just one stain, three of them. These brown, food-like stains on the front of my shirt. Now, I'm not at home. I can't go get another one. I don't have time to go to a department store and, and buy another one. I'm looking at this shirt thinking, and I say to Renee, where do these come from? Like it was her fault. 
which it wasn't. If anyone's fault, it was mine because I did the laundry. But there, there's this shirt with three stains on the front. I'm thinking, what am I supposed to do now? Now, fortunately, none of them were, I mean, it's not, I'm not talking about a hand-sized stain. They were none of them bigger than a fingernail. But, you know, one of them was hidden when I tucked my shirt into my pants. The second one was hidden when I put my tie on. And Renee said, you know, if you keep your coat buttoned, it'll hide the third one. So I'll keep my coat buttoned. But I thought about that, that those three little stains on that shirt became the things that stood out. I could have put my attention upon any other square inch on that garment. White, clean, very presentable. But the things that stood out were the things that weren't in place. And that's what I'm talking about regarding this sensitivity. It's being aware that even as we mature in our faith and we become, by the grace of God, become more Christ-like all the time, those words from Paul should never leave us because it makes us aware that the struggle is still there. And as long as we make this journey, we're going to be battling that evil is in our, that is in our heart. And as long as we're battling that evil that is in our heart, we have a great reminder that the only way we stand righteous before God is by grace. And it is amazing. Paul gets to the end of chapter 7. And I resonate so much with him because I have wanted to cry out so often exactly what he does. Who will set me free? Who will set me free from this body of sin? The answer is, whom? Jesus. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And that's why I can just imagine Paul moving on because, you know, as you read the book of Romans, do you know what comes after chapter 7? I don't ask difficult questions. And you know how chapter 8 starts? You should if you hang around me long enough. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I imagine how Paul felt when he wrote those words. I could imagine how Paul would sound if he spoke those words. Disinterested? No. Scholarly? Uh, perhaps. Impassioned? Absolutely. There is therefore now how much? No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus our Lord has set us free from the law of sin and death.
Friends, grace is amazing. And I hope we don't lose sight of that. A few years ago, I had this wonderful opportunity, something that was long overdue. Uh, a fine friend offered for me to go uh, to, a, to an Emmaus walk. 72 hours of being immersed in God's presence and having God show up in unexpected ways. <clears throat> when that weekend was over, I thought about the things that impacted me the most. And the thing that still stands out to me was the opportunity I had to be around a certain collection of young men who were also attending that weekend. I think there were five of them, and all of them fairly young, I'd say early to mid-twenties, somewhere in that age range. All of them are, were uh, still participating in a, in a certain recovery-type program. It's a Christian-based program uh, geared for young men who had had difficulty with various things in life and were trying to get back on the right path. Uh, they told me a little bit about the program. It sounded like a really great, godly thing. But these guys, these guys came for that weekend, and they were so on fire for the Lord. They, they were so overwhelmingly responsive to how grace had been given to them, and God was doing a redeeming work in their lives. And I just got to sit by like I had a ringside seat to watch them celebrate God. And it left me with two responses. One was, one was celebration. I mean, I just, I just listened to what these, I listened to their stories. I, I sat beside them in worship when we were worshiping together, and it was contagious. I thought, these guys... I mean, the, the, the love that they have for God and what Jesus has done in their life, I just love to be around it. It's kind of like standing uh, around on a cold night near a campfire and you're just getting around that warmth and it was just so powerful to be around them. And so I, I celebrated with them. And the second impact it had on me was conviction because it made me wonder where that had gone in me. Why didn't I celebrate God like that anymore? I stand no less in grace than they did. The work that God was doing in their life was no more remarkable than the work that God was doing in my life. What happened? Had grace all of a sudden become not so amazing? Friends, I pray that we don't lose this. The fact that any of us can stand before God, proclaim to be justified, is nothing short of incredible. And it's only because of what Jesus has done on the cross of Calvary. And if that doesn't make you love him, I don't know what does. We're glad that you chose to spend this time with us in God's Word. 
You can watch our worship services online at www.rmmcwp.net. May the Lord grant you the light of His truth as you journey through this day. 